The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. I'm drained, <laughs> but I'm excited, believe me. I mean, they, the guys know how I felt all week about this game. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I don't think there's a surprise here. We, we you know, I've said it before, um, you know, it's it's hard. When you, you get down in the dumps and you were where we were at, you know, it's easy to lose faith, but these guys never did, and we stayed true to what we were about. And uh, and they knew, they believed we were one play away, and that's that's where we've been. And so now we're making the, the play. You know, we're, we're making the one extra play. Uh, this, it's not costing us, you know, and, and we're able to over, overcome some of these mistakes we were making earlier. So, um, no, our guys, they know they belong. They know they belong, and, and they know when they play football like we've been playing the last six weeks, we can play with anybody. That's the truth. That is the truth, but it's a 17-game season. When you start 1-6, and six, you dig a hole for yourself that makes it very difficult when you're trying to qualify for the postseason. Right now, the Detroit Lions, one of the best teams in the entire National Football League. There is no debating that, but they still have to worry about getting in. Steve Kornacki had the playoff percentages last night on football night in america yesterday tripled the lions chances from seven percent to 21 percent so there's still a one in five shot but it's it's a lot better than they were going into the day and if they keep winning it will all take care of itself they just have to keep doing what they've done it doesn't get any easier they go face the jets who are desperate to get a win and turn their playoff chances back in the right direction. But the Lions looked good yesterday, and it could have gone off the rails early. I mean, it was it had that kind of which way is this going to break vibe to it. There was a pass early on where Jared Goff hit a teammate in the helmet. The ball pops up in the air. If Zadarius Smith just sees it and takes a step to the right, he catches it and walks in for a touchdown. That's just one of those moments that potentially changes everything. And the Lions had a couple of long touchdowns. One had to have been a busted coverage. Jamison Williams doesn't get that open without a busted coverage. But the Lions kept the pressure on the Vikings all day long. They didn't give the Vikings the chance to pull the rabbit out of the hat or or the butt or wherever they find rabbits. They find a different rabbit every week. 
That wasn't happening yesterday. The Lions were determined to prevent it. And I think that was the key. You could sense it watching the game. The Lions were not going to give the Vikings the hope that they could have another magical win that they could steal and then fly home with somebody shirtless wearing chains. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's one of those things that's kind of the attitude, right? You go into it with a belief that, yes, we can not only win this game, but we can win it definitively. And then the Lions show what they do. I mean, it, it's interesting to me because the Lions have not necessarily had a very good defense, let's say, to be nice, I guess, over the course of this season. But they've gotten better and better and better. And, you know, there were calls kind of rightfully to fire Aaron Glenn coming from some corners of places, but instead they they elected to fire Aubrey Pleasant, who was a defensive backs coach. And, you know, whether that's coincidence or not, I don't know. But the Lions have been winning, and they've been playing better football since that point. So, you know, you go from one and six to where you are now, where you're winning games and you're in games. And even the game you lost to the Buffalo Bills, you gave them all that they could handle. And now it's like, okay, you can kind of – take that sigh of relief and say, man, it's nice that this thing is working out a little bit better for Dan Campbell because a, I love watching his press conferences and I think that's really fun. And it just kind of energizes me whenever I see that football guy talking about football, but B it's good to see the lions playing competitive ball because this is a team that has been one of the worst franchises in football for a very, very long time. Right. And now they're in a position where they can really, truly say that they can compete with anybody. And I, that, that speaks to what Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes are building from a football standpoint. The Lions last won a playoff game, Miles, not long after you were born, the 1991 season. And I recall it's now been six years. They had a celebration of the 25 year anniversary of their last playoff win. And I remember thinking that's not the kind of thing that you really want want to bring attention to. (laughs) It's not a cause for celebration. It's a cause for lament and regret. Uh, But, hey, hey, if they get in this year, they can make some noise. And and that's one of the the realities of any football season. You're going to have teams charging up on the outside as the season comes to a finish. And they're better, air quotes, better than the teams that started great and are just hanging on like the Giants and the Commanders. And you may get a lesser team qualify than one of these really hot teams. Can the hot team get in? The Lions, one of the hottest teams right now in the NFL that is on the outside looking in. So it's fun to watch, and we'll see where they can go from here. They do have the Jets on the road this weekend. The Vikings missed their chance to clinch the NFC North. How about this? They've given up 400 or more yards for five straight games, a franchise record. Congratulations on that. And they are officially the worst 10-3 and team in league history because they are the only 10-3 and team in league history to have allowed more points than they have scored. So golf claps all around. And, you know, you mentioned the firing of Aubrey Pleasant by the Lions when they were 1-6. and six. And I'm starting to see the calls, not just from within my own family. I'm seeing the calls elsewhere for Ed Donatel to go. And my son would would sign up to be the president of the Ed Donatel must go fan club. I don't know that a change will be made, could be made, should be made. It's never easy to do, especially at coordinator when your head coach is an offensive guy. You're throwing the keys to somebody else entirely. 
but it doesn't feel sustainable, Miles, and it's a recipe for what I said all along the Vikings were going to be, a team that makes the playoffs, maybe wins in the wild card round, and gets blown off the field by one of the best teams in the conference in the divisional round. That, once again, feels like the path the Vikings are on. Well, yeah, and that's because it's what we keep seeing, right? I mean, Dallas going in there and blowing the doors off the thing really was not that long ago. And so then when you allow as many points and as many yards as you do to Jared Goff and that Lions team, and that again, that, that Lions offense has been good all year. And sort of as an aside, if I were somebody who has a head coach opening this offseason, I would be taking a serious look at the guy we just showed on there, that broadcast there, who is Ben Johnson, who's the offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions. But regardless, if you are the Minnesota Vikings, you have to be able to tighten up more defensively because you can't expect that you're really going to compete for championships if you allow this many yards, this many points on a consistent basis. It is very odd to have a team with that good of a record and a negative point differential. That's just strange. You don't usually see that, right? I mean, you just pointed it out. So I don't necessarily know what they got to do to tighten that thing up defensively, but they've got to do it because even Justin Jefferson and his incredible day yesterday could not save the Vikings from what was their ultimate outcome. Yeah, it is amazing what, uh, the Vikings have done offensively and you couple it with a defense. It is bend, but don't break, but sometimes they break. And yesterday yes. they broke and, and look, they, they still had a chance. You know, when the Vikings cut it to 31, 23 with two minutes and 49 seconds left and a couple of timeouts, I was surprised they did an onside kick. Frankly, I thought they were okay to go ahead and kick it deep. You got the two minute warning. You got two timeouts. You'd like to get a shorter field for your offense to work with. I, I really didn't agree with the onside kick, but then they got it down to third and seven with two minutes to go. And now all they had to do is make a stop there. And they were going to have a chance to make some magic. And that's when Penny Sewell goes left to right across the formation, runs the pass route, catches the ball, gets the first down. Now I do want to point out a couple of things and, and we'll probably take a look at this on Wednesday for after further review. There was blatant blocking more than a yard downfield, so it should have been offensive pass interference. And also, I think Penne was moving forward at the snap. I know he wasn't, but look at the blocking downfield on Patrick Peterson. More than a yard downfield, should have been offensive pass interference, but wasn't. And he makes the catch, dives to the first down, and the Lions seal the deal in a moment where the Vikings otherwise would step up and make a play. So, again, they, they reversed that magic that the Vikings have had going. There hasn't been a whole lot of magic for the Tennessee Titans lately. And I, this is one that I, I couldn't have been more wrong about. I thought Mike Vrabel buoyed by the firing of John Robinson. Now he's in control. This is my team. I'm going to do this the way I want. I'm ready to go. Here come the Jaguars. They just got the crap kicked out of them by the Detroit Lions. Now's our chance to assert ourselves. Oops, 36 to 22. Are you kidding me? And it was ugly. Yeah. And like the Titans were ahead 14 7, 7 nothing, 14 7. And, and there was a moment where Derrick Henry had a ball popped out by Josh Allen. And that was kind of, to me, and you, you're watching seven games at once, that was kind of the moment where it felt like it turned. But the, the Jaguars, what, you know, again, they're the kid that brings home straight A's once in a while. I want to see it more often. There's the play where the ball just gets shot out. Josh Allen recovered. He didn't make the hit. But yes. I want to see A's on the report card more than once every two or three weeks, Miles. They need to start stringing these together. 
Gosh, that's how I feel about the Chargers, you know? Just string it together. Do it consistently. I mean, it, um, Trevor Lawrence played incredibly well in this game. Evan Ingram had a career high in yards. I think he had 162 on 11 catches. He played incredibly well. But what a disappointing day for the Titans. I mean, they had four turnovers, which is not something that you kind of expect to see from a team that has been so consistently good for the last few years. You don't really expect to see Derrick Henry fumble. Now, you don't really necessarily expect to see Ryan Tannehill get rocked and then sat fumbled and then he throws another interception and then there was another turnover critical. I, I, I just I was disappointed in that performance by the Titans because this was. We have miles frozen. We're going to have to unfreeze miles. It must be really cold in California this morning. I thought it was me at first. I thought I was the one that was about to drop, but I'm still here. And to pick up on Miles point, it wasn't characteristic by the Titans. It's becoming sometimes characteristic of the Jaguars. I definitely want to see more from them than a win here, a win there. They need to put it together. And they're still lingering in the fringes of the playoff conversation in the AFC. They're in that cluster of teams that are now five and eight. Maybe one of them gets lucky and pops out of it and steals the seventh seed in the AFC. Time will tell. Or maybe the Jaguars steal the division. They're just a couple of games behind the Titans now. Here's Mike Vrabel, coach of Tennessee, after the loss. thought we were, we were prepared. I, I don't know what it says, you know about this we understand that there's going to be some some ups and downs and we're going to have to be able to weather the storm and find out you know who, who's willing to kind of you know give us that extra push here down the stretch yeah boy he just seems beaten down and you just just weary and you know, what are we going to do here we did everything we could how, how do you lose at home that badly to a team that's supposed to be not good and i saw one of the reporters tweet that the traffic to the stadium was as light as it's been since the Ken Wisenhunt era in Tennessee. And, you know, the message you send to your fan base when you fire your GM at a time when you're 7-5 and and you're leading the division is, we're just not very good. Why do you fire your GM? You know, I agree with what Amy Adams-Strunk did. She explained to the AP over the weekend, once I made the decision, why wait? I agree with that completely. It's a sign of a properly functional team. Having to fire your GM in the middle of the season isn't a sign of a properly functional team, but they spotted the problem and they acted on it. But yeah, it sends a hell of a message to your fans. And you got to do a better job of, I think that's the point, messaging to your fans why you did it. You can't just do it and then go retreat. The fans need to understand. You need to sell them optimism and belief in the rest of the season. And it helps to, you know, hold serve at home against a division rival, Miles. Yeah, it, it does. And I thought that that was one of the problems last week with what the Titans did is that Amy Adams-Strunk was not out in front and explaining why she made the decision that she made. I, I always don't like that when we see ownership decisions and then either the head coach or the GM has to come out and start explaining things when it's not really their job to do that. So that was one thing that I wish they'd done a little bit differently. But just the fact that the Titans right now are playing as they're playing. Uh, they're not good. We can all see that. I mean, they're dec- they're good enough to win the AFC South, but the way that that division is right now, which is everybody else is pretty bad, man, I don't know how much that really means. So they have to do a lot of soul searching and improve because 
even if they come out here and they play like that, then the Chargers should beat them, right? But if they play to their capabilities, then we understand that the Titans should be better than the Chargers. It's just, I don't know what's going on right now. And they have coming up, uh, we mentioned the Chargers game. They have the Texans after that, the Cowboys, and then they finish with a trip to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And depending upon how things play out, That's interesting. maybe that will be the game for the AFC South. And maybe that will be the game that ends up in primetime week 18 because typically Ooh. the NFL likes to look for a game where you win and you're in, you're losing, you're out, regardless of anything that happens, ha- that happens or happens over the course of the day. And that's the best way to frame it. Division title, winner's in, loser goes home, no shot at a wild card. That may be. I, that may be the playoff play-in game. Titans at the Jaguars. Come. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Week 18. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, it's time to hand out some superlatives for week 14 of the 2022 NFL regular season. We'll do that right after this. All right, superlatives time. Week 14, 2022 NFL regular season has come and gone, except for one game tonight, Patriots at the Cardinals. We'll have our 10-second preview of that coming up later in the hour. For now, though, superlatives. Miles, you're up. All right, let's go to Charlotte, where uh, the Panthers knocked off the, the, well, they didn't do it in Charlotte as I messed this up, but that's where they play, right? And that's where they were flying back. They're to back from in Seattle Charlotte last now. night. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're back in Charlotte now. But you know what? They've got Steve Wilkes, who's done a really, really, really good job as the interim coach. And I think it's time to take that tag off, right? I think that Steve Wilkes has shown that he can be the full time head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Now, they're four and four since Wilkes took over. They were one and four with Matt Rule this year. And I think that the fact that they've been so competitive just says a lot about how he's been coaching them. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what people want at quarterback. You know, I mean, he's got Sam Darnold playing pretty decently well right now. And he's got Ben McAdoo as an offensive coordinator. But they've had to cycle through Baker Mayfield, P.J. Walker, and now they're in Sam Darnold. And to the, the fact that they're 4-4 four and four through these eight games and that they control their own outcome in the NFC South is a real credit to him. So I, I think he's done enough to at least – merit serious consideration and frankly if it were me i would just hire him outright the uh interim coach bump can be problematic and i have recommended against it when it's a late season hire with just a few games left because i think what can happen late in the year the players get their act together just long enough to help that guy get the job because they don't want to have to worry about a new boss. They're more than content to keep a guy they know, a guy that likes them, and a guy that will be indebted to them if they play well enough the final few weeks of the season to get him the job. 
I think the longer the interim coach serves, the less of a chance there is of that becoming a problem. And I think in this case, it's less of a chance of it becoming a problem. Now, it could defy the secret plans of David Tepper, the oligarch who is ruminating on who he can go out and throw a big pile of money to to come in and turn this woebegotten team around. That's the problem because he said himself on December or October 10, if Steve Wilkes does an incredible job, he'll be the full-time coach. Well, I think he's kind of done an incredible job with the bad hand that he's been given. Mm -hmm. So what does incredible job mean? We're going to find out when the season ends. And I think for now, Tepper just keeps his head low and his mouth shut, and let's see what happens. Maybe this problem takes care of itself, and I can go hire the guy that I want to hire. Or maybe they get to the playoffs, and maybe he wakes up one day and he realizes, this is the guy I should hire. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that incredible job thing can have a lot of uh, it can be a moving goalpost, if you will. Right. Because what does that really mean? I mean, is there any objective criteria for that? I don't know. But like I said, at least for now, I think he Steve Wilkes has done a better job than could be expected going into that situation. And you know what, Miles, just the fact that you would put that label on the guy. Think about what the word incredible means. Like, you're right. setting the bar pretty damn high. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're, you're handing him a shit team, frankly. Like, yes. like you're expecting – like, well, that, that's his only chance. That's all he can do. Right. It doesn't matter how he interacts with the staff. It doesn't matter what mastery he shows of the game. It doesn't matter what he manages to get from this bad team that is so bad Matt Rule got run out during his third season. It has to be incredible – It can't just be mildly credible. It can't just be he's doing a good enough job to earn an opportunity to do it next year. I I think that that maybe we should have reacted a little more strongly. I feel like I should have reacted a little more strongly to that statement in the moment. It's got to be incredible. Well, why? Why does it have to be incredible? Why does he have to be Superman to earn consideration? How about, you know, 12 games, 11 games on the job showing you can get it done? showing that the players respond to you. And maybe if we have better players and they respond, the team will be even better. So anyway, we'll see how it goes. We're supposed to be handing out superlatives here, not going off on a rant on how David Tepper is going to do wrong by Steve Wilkes, but we'll see what happens. Uh, This is the Doug Flutie Award because Doug Flutie, the last guy to execute an intentional drop kick in the NFL, he did it on an extra point in I think what was his final NFL game with the Patriots more than a decade ago, more than 15 years ago. Yesterday, though, Giants punter with an unintentional drop kick, but he pulled it off. The ball hits. I don't. I. I really. I. I. I don't know how this happens by a professional athlete who punts for a living, where the ball. Like, you you do your drop, and it's all timed very, very perfectly. I guess he saw everything collapsing around him, and it freaked him out. But it's so – they do it thousands of times. Catch, drop, kick. Catch, drop, kick. It becomes second nature, like breathing. You don't even think about it. That looks so ungainly and clumsy. It looked like something I would do. But he managed to get the club on the ball. The ball was moving, and he swung at it, and he got it off. So good for him. Uh, but it was an illegal kick, so I mean, you know, that's nice. But <laughs> what did you really? I still like it. I like it. I don't know. It's a drop kick. Yeah, it's a. Drop if it would have gone through the goalpost, it would have been three points. Oh, if it yeah, would have gone through okay. the goalpost, it would have been three points. Yeah, and if I oh, had a lot of money, post. I would I would buy a Ferrari or whatever it is that we usually say, right?
that was our that was our way of addressing the Eagles Giants game, which was a blowout, which was ugly, and the Giants are sinking. Uh, they have basically a playoff elimination game coming up on Sunday night against the Washington Commanders because whoever loses that one is done, and it sure likes like the Giants are on their path to being done, especially since they still have to play the Eagles again. All right, Miles, what else do you have? Hey, Mike, we've got Eagles Giants on the rundown for later in the show. Sorry, that wasn't necessarily well, right. our only we way. May, we may, we may erase it. Yeah. <laughs> we may erase it. You assume yeah. foolishly that I've read the whole rundown. No, I know that you haven't. That's why because you never usually do. All right. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to break a rule and just kind of go off the board because I was at this game and I kind of want to talk about it. But welcome to Hollywood. And that's for Baker Mayfield. And I'm breaking rule because I'm going back to Thursday night. But it's week 15 superlatives. So I was still in week 15. Hey, but if you read the rundown, you're allowed to break a rule. Okay. Thank you very much. Because how did this happen? I mean, the entire day, I'm thinking, what in the world is Baker Mayfield possibly going to start for if he's been there less than 48 hours? And lo and behold, he does something absolutely incredible. I I still cannot believe that they went down the field and were able to score. Ben Skoranek, mossing defenders? That is what I said this is going to happen. And then for whatever reason, you're playing press against Van Jefferson. Baker Mayfield says after the game, I couldn't believe that they were doing that. I think he used the word. I was pretty shocked to see that that's the defense they were playing with about 15 seconds left and the Rams didn't have any timeouts. That was as fun as I've had covering a game in a long time. That was, that was some fun stuff to see right there. And I guess, you know, if the Raiders can lose to Jeff Saturday's Colts, they can lose to two day Baker's Rams. And it really was amazing because the game is kind of like going into like, oh, is there anything else I can justify doing tonight than watching this game? But the Mayfield <laughs> stuff at least made it interesting. And I thought they were throwing out the idea of Baker starting to get people to tune in. And then we tune in and it's John Walford. And then they realize after one drive, there's a reason he's John Walford. There's a reason he's the backup that we don't believe in. Let's put Baker in there and see what happens. And it really was amazing. And I agree with you. The moment that he threw the pass to Skoranek. That was the sit forward on the edge of your seat moment. They got something going because, my God, it was 90 seconds left with no timeouts, 98 yards, right? And it's like, this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. They had the the moment where Tillery knocks the ball out of his hands and then he throws the ball to Skoranek and it's like, oh, my God, this is going to happen. It really was something. And, And it's a shame. You know, the bright, shiny objects, they are very helpful for the NFL when the time comes to turn the page on a controversy. But the problem is Sunday's games kind of make us forget about what happened Thursday. We shouldn't forget about that. And it does make the game next Monday night very interesting when Baker Mayfield and the Rams go to Green Bay. Yeah, it certainly does. Mike, it's funny. I mean, I was sitting with uh, some writers from the L.A. Times in the press box, and I turned to Sam Farmer, and I said, man, if – The Rams are able to pull this off. I mean, starting at their own two-yard line with no timeouts and 145 on the clock, then that defensive staff of the Raiders should probably have to walk home. And lo and behold, what did they do? I couldn't believe it, man. I just couldn't believe it. Last one on the way out the door. I'll call this the Joe Green Award. This refers to a an iconic TV commercial from about 12 years before Miles was born, but it did happen. It's the one where the, I know this the, one. The, the, Joe Green asks for a Coke, and, and Joe Green throws the kid his jersey, right? 
This is Dre Greenlaw after intercepting Tom Brady during the game, having the chutzpah to ask Brady for an autograph of the ball after the game. And I got to give Tom Brady credit. You know, a lot of times what will happen is when Tom Brady takes one on the chin, he disappears. Uh, and he didn't. I'm surprised. You know, yeah. how many times did he snub Nick Foles? Like, he hung around, <laughs> and, and I think he understands. Number one, number one, I'm back home for only the second time in my career. Number two, these guys could be my teammates next year. Maybe that's the maybe that's the deeper message here. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, Tom's gonna come knocking on the door, and this time they're finally gonna open it for him. Hey, you know, you keep saying that this is only the second time in his career. I mean, he's played in the Bay Area before in Oakland, all right. So it's not like you know, it, it's that I, I understand that it's the team he grew up rooting for. Don't bother me with but, facts. You know, I know. Don't I'm just bother I just, me with facts. I just feel a little compelled to say that, you know, there used to be a second team in the Bay Area that was technically closer to San Francisco than uh, the San Francisco 49ers play in, you know, where they play in Santa Clara right now. So where they play now is closer to Oakland. Well, yeah, it is. I know. uh, Here's Greenlaw. Do we have do we have Greenlaw talking about why he asked Brady to sign the ball? Here it is. It seemed a little bit ballsy to go up to Brady after the game to have him sign that ball. Um, what, uh, what inspired you to do that? Man, the worst thing he could tell me is no. So, I mean, you know, I was always told if you don't ask, you'll never know. So, I mean, he, he's a good guy to be able to sign that ball after he didn't threw them picks. Like, that's big time. So, I mean, I appreciate him. He's the greatest. He's the greatest. He's a GOAT. So, I appreciate that. Did you approach him, and what did he say to you? Yeah, I went like a little fan. I went like a little fan girl. You know, I tried to... Got to, you know, soothe him up, make him feel better. So I'm like, man, yeah, you're the greatest ever, man. You know, all that good stuff. But he is. He is. But, I mean, you know, and he, he was like, yeah, I appreciate it, man. Good job and stuff. And I was like, man, you ain't got to sign the balls. You know, I just, because I knew he looked like he was going through a lot. So I was like, man, you ain't got to sign the balls. And then Fred come over there. Fred's like, you get the ball, son? And I'm just like, yeah, man, now nah, you got to sign these balls. And he signed them. So, I mean, it was, it was cool, man. It was, Oh, they, 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 ran, they ran a scam on Tom Brady, softened him up, and then come in with the uppercut, and he did it. But again, it. but again, you never know how the planets are going to line up after the season. He may end up playing for the 49ers next year. We don't know, although based on yesterday, I, I don't know why it won't be Brock Purdy and Trey Lance, the two quarterbacks for the 49ers in 2023. When you look at everything Kyle Shanahan said about Brady this week, they regret, I believe, saying no to him, not once but twice, because they, earlier this year, I think he tried again and they weren't interested and they probably regret that. Although, right now, feeling pretty good about Brock Purdy. All right, let's take a break. The Bills and the Chiefs come out victorious in their chase for the one seed in the AFC. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. What do you walk away with today? Do you feel like this is a missed opportunity here? What's, what's, how do you, what's your emotion? Um, obviously, I, I love our guys. They fight their tails off, but I, I think I speak for everyone in that we miss an out. Uh, we're going to see these guys again. So. What makes you say that? I just think we are. Are you pretty confident in the fight I think our team is is good enough. We got a obviously a tweak to week, but. Uh, we got a good football team. That was one of those comments where when you read it the first time, 
You're thinking, well, yeah, you play him twice a year. But then you see it again, you listen to it, it's like, no, nah, he's calling his shot in a very understated way. Robert Sala, mm-hmm. coach of the Jets, and I think he knows how to use that podium to send messages to his players. Remember, it was back early in the season where he said, go ahead and say what you want. We're keeping the receipts. That was done to motivate his guys. Oh, and it worked. This right now, pick them up out of the dumps. They've lost a couple in a row. They're struggling. They have to be thinking maybe we aren't good enough to make it to the playoffs. We don't know who our quarterback's going to be. Mike White has to go to the hospital to get his ribs checked out. Would it be Zach Wilson? Would it be Joe Flacco? If he can't play, who knows? Either way, the coach thinks we're going to see the Bills again. That's that's a very muted and understated kick in the ass by the coach. I like it. Even though they lost the game, I like the way Salah handled that moment. How about you? I, I did too. Um, and if Salah had not done the thing earlier in the season where he said, you know, we're keeping the receipts and then I hadn't seen it work. And also when he starts talking about how the offense is dog S and then, you know, the next week they put in Mike white and things start going a little bit better then I also might be like, ah. but when Robert Sala has used the podium in that way this year, it's worked. So sometimes you just have to know exactly the right buttons to push. And that is the job of the head coach. And so far what he's done has worked. So, I mean, I, I don't blame him for saying what he said there. You know, and frankly, I think that the Jets are good enough to compete and also play the Buffalo Bills again in some ways like the Patriots were last year, right? But will they get their doors blown off if they see them again in the playoffs? I don't know. But I I liked what Robert Sala did there. I did. Yeah, and same thing happened to the Patriots last year. They won round one, lost round two, and lost by 30 when they got together in the wild card round. Mm -hmm. But it probably wouldn't be a wild card round rematch this time because the bills are on track to be uh, the one seed. They just have to keep winning because they hold the tiebreaker over the chiefs. Both teams are 10 and three. The bills keep winning. The bills end up being the number one seed. I think it's going to come down to week 17 Monday night football, the last Monday night game of the year bills at Bengals. Not that the Bengals will be the one seed if they win, because they need to gain ground on the chiefs. But if the, Bengals beat the Bills that could deliver it for the Kansas City Chiefs for now though the Bills deliver their four straight victory they haven't lost since that day Minnesota came to town and got the wild one in overtime four straight Josh Allen not a tremendous day statistically but he did enough and created a few highlights he had kind of a mid-air whatever that was flipping around a Dawson Knox into the end zone on a on a over the top crazy roller coaster thing here's the josh allen run where i always get nervous when this happens but he finds a way to get up and keep going it helps to be six seven but at some point it's the same it's the same bone and ligament and cartilage everyone else has and he could have gotten hurt coming down on that left leg but it was a great day for him not spectacular again the jets defense is better than they get credit for mike white was a guy who drew praise from greg rousseau after the game even though They lost to Zach Wilson and beat Mike White. A lot of the stuff you hear from Jets players, the Bills defense was saying about Mike White, you know, makes big throws, fierce competitor, kept coming back, went to the hospital, got checked out. We don't know what his status is going to be for this week. It really does create a a decision for the Jets. I mean, if they don't start Zach Wilson, if Mike White can't play, if they go with Joe Flacco instead, Are we really to believe that this is just a timeout, a double-secret probation for Zach Wilson, or are we to believe they're done with him? If the season's on the line and Mike White's out, and we don't know at this point, but they're guarding the information. 
They don't have to tell us anything until Wednesday in their first injury report. But, boy, it'll be weird if Wilson doesn't get installed as the starter. Won't it, Miles? Yeah. I mean, it would certainly be weird. I mean, but, look, I I don't know what they would want to do. I mean, do they feel like the timeout has been enough for Zach Wilson? Or are they still blinded by Mike White? Um, because I think that they should be with the way that Mike White is playing. I mean, I, I just, I, I think you can't help but love the toughness that Mike White is exhibiting, right? When he gets crushed a couple of times, has to miss a couple of plays once, then has to miss some more later on in the game and then comes back. I mean, he is showing a lot of toughness and he's showing an ability to make throws. And when he comes back and he throws a dime on third and 10 and it's a deep out, right? Those are hard throws to make usually. But especially when you're coming back and you're a little bit colder off of an injury, that that I think says a lot about the way that he can play. So, I mean, I don't know if you would rather have the veteran or the younger quarterback if you are in must-win situations. If it's me, I, I might want to go with Joe Flacco, but I don't, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. It depends on what they're seeing internally from Zach Wilson. And, and that's really the key. How's he responding to this extended period three games now of being not just on the bench but not even in uniform he looked like the gorton's fisherman yesterday on the (laughs) sidelines in his rain gear watching that game i mean first he's got to be back you know in the active roster before you consider him the replacement the indications as they currently are is that flacco is number two It's one thing to be game day number two. It's another thing to be the starter if we know the number one guy is out. And I'm just saying, if Mike White is out and Zach Wilson isn't put back in as the starter, I think that tells us that that maybe this is more than just a short-term reset button, timeout, we'll put him back on the field at some point this year type of a thing. Um, Yes. All right. Also, Quinton Williams, the great Jets defensive lineman, is day-to-day with a calf injury. It happened on a non-contact basis in the first half, so we'll be checking the injury reports this week for more information on him. Chiefs and Broncos. This one looked like it was going to be a laugh. It was 27-0 Chiefs. And that incredible knuckleball throw by Patrick Mahomes as the defender broke away from Jarek McKinnon and ran up to Mahomes. What is that? Mahomes... Just what is that? That's just like what? screwing around in the office and throwing a wad of paper into a trash can type of a throw. That's am- <laughs> that is just amazing. And Mahomes is the only guy that can get away with it to try it and the only guy who can pull it off, Miles. Either him or Josh Allen, I can't really see anybody else trying it, it not let alone accomplishing it. I mean, that was something that was really, really incredible. And, you know, look, it, it was one of those plays where you start to think, okay, this is why this game got flexed out of Sunday night football, right? And then it becomes 27 to nothing, and you're like, yeah, looks like the NFL made the right choice. And then the Broncos' defense started to step up. You know, they made some good plays. Patrick Mahomes made some decisions that were just not good enough. I mean, he wants some of me called bad, bad. After that, pre- in that press conference after the game, making me think of my favorite Canadian jazz fusion band, Bad Bad Not Good. But then he also comes back and does stuff like that. You know, where you see him make the incredible play 
to get the ball to Juju Smith-Schuster in the end zone. I mean, there, that's a one that really not a lot of quarterbacks in probably the history of the National Football League can even attempt to make, let alone actually complete that ball in that way. So, yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes, man. He's still Patrick Mahomes. Can we show the the throw to McKinnon one more time? Because I, I want to make an observation here because I don't know what Patrick Mahomes is consciously thinking of in these moments and the great athletes aren't consciously thinking of anything they are just doing but we know he's got a behind the back pass in his arsenal and I wonder if McKinnon is a little more inside at that moment that that's the time he would have just flipped it behind his back to him if he was about five yards closer to the middle of the field I mean it's pretty damn impressive as it was but I I just I've asked him about the behind the back pass has been reporting on it he's done it in practice but I feel like if McKinnon's a little more to the inside, that would have been the time for him to break it out. But that's the thing with Mahomes. You never know what's coming. You never know when it's coming. You never know what it's going to look like. But you assume there's a good chance it's going to be successful and it's going to be something you've never seen before. And that thing yesterday was just amazing. Now, with all that said, and this is where I have to give Nathaniel Hackett, the coach of the Broncos, credit. And this is one of the reasons why they haven't fired him yet, Miles. They're competitive. They don't quit. They keep hanging around. They scratched and clawed their way back into this game. And, yeah, the Chiefs made it easy. But, hey, how many times do we see 27-0 become 42-3? The Chiefs took their foot off the gas. The Broncos seized the opportunity. They didn't quit. They aren't quitting, and they made it an interesting game late. And, uh, and again, the wins aren't there for the Broncos, but at least they're not embarrassing themselves. Uh, okay. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? I don't know. That's just all I, I mean – they're not embarrassing themselves, oh. but I mean, when you get down 27, nothing, that's a little embarrassing. It's just, it's more or less that the chiefs allowed them back into that game. Like I said, Patrick Mahomes made bad decisions. He had the turnovers, three interceptions is not a great day from Patrick Mahomes, despite all the great plays that he made. And, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to Jiro Evero, their defensive coordinator of the Broncos and how he forced Mahomes into some of those bad decisions. But at the end of the day, they still gave up, you know, 20 some points on offense because of course you had that pick six from the defense too on Russell Wilson so yeah they're competitive but they're not good <laughs> they don't win and a lot of that certainly also has to do with with Russell Wilson getting hurt well and Russell Wilson had that scary moment where he landed head first uh had, had a, a noticeable lump on his forehead yeah. he's in the concussion protocol he was woozy he was wobbly I, I would like us to get past the point as a culture of football where, like, you physically try to pull a guy to his feet in those moments. No, no. If, if the guy's not ready to get up, don't try to pull him up. Let him move in his own time. But, it, you know, you could see that he was just – he wasn't right. I don't know that he was knocked unconscious. But look at that, look at that lump. My wow. goodness. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see if he misses time. They've got four games left. They've been mathematically eliminated from the playoff chase. Uh, maybe we're at the point now where you just kind of do a soft benching and just just give some reps to, to Brett Rippon to have him better equipped to be the backup next year, assuming the coaching staff returns, which I think is a big assumption at this point. So who knows where it goes from here for the Broncos. But I do know this. They play the Rams on Christmas Day. Thank God for Baker Mayfield, or there would be no reason to watch that game. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. Cowboys have to fight to get a win against a cross-state rival. The Eagles, as we mentioned earlier, blow out the Giants. NFC East update when PFT Live continues right after this. 
Yeah, you know, actually, they said that to me in there. I'm like, oh, that's, that's nice. I mean, it's, yeah, we got we got way bigger goals, and it's on to the next one. So um, uh, it's nice to get this win here because uh, we know this is a good football team. Uh, it's nice to come out here and play good on the road, and, and, and we'll move on to the next one, enjoy this one for a little bit, and move on to the next one. Nick Sirianni, coach of the Eagles, trying to downplay the fact that they won the division. And that, that's the difference between the Eagles and the Vikings. Like the Eagles, the Vikings were talking about, oh, it's a T-shirt and hat game. So what? So what? You, are you playing this to win a, a T-shirt and a hat that says you're division champions or are you playing for something more? The Eagles clearly play for something more. The Eagles, the best team in the conference, arguably the best team in the entire NFL, although the 49ers may have something to say about it if they cross paths in the postseason. But the Eagles do clinch. They're 12-1. and they're a step closer to the one seed, which feels like it's just a matter of time. And uh, just amazing to see what Jalen Hurts has done. First quarterback in NFL history to have 10-plus rushing touchdowns in back-to-back seasons. He had 217 passing yards, 77 rushing yards, three total touchdowns. And they make it look easy. That's the thing. They're, as the season goes on, they're getting better and better. That is the hallmark of the team of destiny. They just get better and better. And I think they're going to be very hard to beat the rest of the way. Yeah. One point of clarification, you you sort of mentioned that it was a hat and t-shirt game. They they clinched the playoff berth, not the division title. The Cowboys still technically alive in the I understand. I I, I meant for the Vikings, it was, but for the Viking, the Vikings were smitten with the idea that they were playing a t-shirt and hat game. That's not the mentality that I think you'll want. I think you want the mentality to be a playoff berth is just a stepping stone to our broader goal. It reminds me last year or two years ago when Devin White was complaining he didn't make it to the Pro Bowl and Tom Brady gave him a hard time about it. We don't care about the Pro You care about the Pro Bowl? We're trying to win the Super Bowl, man. So subtle difference, but uh, keep your eye on the prize. And the prize isn't getting to the playoffs. The prize is is winning when you get there. And the Eagles – they just have that vibe about them. And, and look, a lot can happen, but it sure feels like the Eagles are on their way. No, it, it does. And, I mean, we've talked about this before. What I, what I love about the Eagles is just their adaptability. Right? Go back a couple weeks, and they were running for 350-plus yards, you know, most rushing yards since 1948. And then you go last week, and they beat the Titans through the air. And then this week, they do it through the ground again, 253 rushing yards for the Philadelphia Eagles. It, it just uh, – it, it's great how they can go from one week to the next, and they say, okay, this is our game plan for this this team. This is our game plan for that team. We understand how we know we can win, right? And it's just a really, 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 really good way of trying to do that because it means that you always have answers. And that's the biggest thing sometimes with teams. They don't always have the answers. The Eagles have figured out a way to have an answer for pretty much anything that a team puts in front of them. So, yeah, I mean, it's a matter of time before, you know, they not just clinch a playoff berth, but they clinch the division. They get the hats and T-shirts. They probably are going to clinch that number one overall seed and then get that by. And then we'll see what happens once they make it to the postseason. But the way they play offensively and defensively, and then they get things done on special teams too. I don't see why the Eagles can't be that team that comes out of the NFC. I hope we see the image of Jalen Hurts getting the hat and T-shirt and he throws him aside because I think in his mind, that's yes. what he'll want to do. He doesn't care yes. about the hat and T-shirt. He cares about a lot more than that. Kirk Cousins, don't care about the hat and the T-shirt. 
Don't care about well, that. Will, you should be. He'll just wear the hat like and the then he'll are. wear the chain and then he'll be shirtless. That's true. When they ever they. That's clinch. true. Yeah. Cowboys looked like they were going to step on a rake yesterday. And you know, Miles, I had an idea last week as it relates to the Texans, and I should have gone with it at least for the cover because the Texans go to AT&T Stadium once every eight years. And I think sometimes for teams that don't go there very often, it's a big deal when you go there. And you, you know, what, what else do the Texans have to play for? They're one ten and one. They got nothing. They go across the state and they have a chance to have bragging rights until the next time they play the Cowboys. Four years, technically there's a chance they could play sooner than that because of the 17th game. But, hey, they gave them everything they could handle. At the end of the day, they blew it. At the end of the day, the Cowboys won the game. Dak Prescott afterwards saying, hey, this is the kind of game that serves us well in the postseason. And he's right. Because if you're a team that just wins easily, wins easily, wins easily, wins easily, you get yourself in a tough game, you don't know what to do. They got themselves in a tough game yesterday. They had to drive down the field and win the game, and they did. So that that's a positive. They, they found a way to turn what could have been, should have been a loss into a late win, and maybe that'll help them in a tough playoff game against somebody in the NFC. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't nearly as impressive a day as we thought it was going to be from the Cowboys, but at the end of the day, they got the win, and that's all that matters. It is, and that's sometimes what can happen against uncommon opponents. I mean, they just don't know the Texans very well. They don't see them very often. And so even though the Texans are not very good and they were for some reason playing a two-quarterback system because I guess if you suck that much, then why not? (laughs) Driscoll on fourth and goal where, you know, the Texans didn't get it and then eventually the Cowboys are now able to go down the field as they did. I mean, Driscoll had absolutely no shot. It was like he was going left and the rest of the – play was going right and so i mean when that happens you don't have any chance at scoring so i mean they're a bad team the texans are and the cowboys are a very good team and good teams and the great teams especially find ways to win even when they're not having their best day and that's what the cowboys were able to do ezekiel Elliott had 62 rushing yards and a touchdown he resisted the temptation to jump back into the Salvation Army kettle. He got fined for it. Yes. That thing's an attractive nuisance. I mean, if they're going to find guys for that, get that thing off the field. Put it in yes. a spot where you can't even get to it. I think that's so stupid that they find guys for that. They put the damn thing on the field. Anyway, there's there's some highlights of your bad Texans uh, quarterbacks. Uh, what's the saying? If you have one bad quarterback, you have one bad quarterback. If you have two bad quarterbacks, you have a major problem, and that's where the Texans are, and who knows what's going to happen with them. There's been chatter about Nick Casario possibly being out, Lovey Smith one and done. I just think Cal McNair needs to sell the team. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Cal, but what have you done since you've inherited the team to prove that you know what you're doing as an owner of the team? And it's okay to admit it. Cash out. Take $8 billion. Jeff Bezos grew up in Houston. Take his $8 billion before he can give his $8 billion to Dan Snyder and, and cash out and just enjoy your life not being the guy that's the pincushion for all the Houston fans that are pissed off because your football team stinks. Am I wrong? I, I don't really have much more to add to that. No, I think you, you kind of said it all there. $8 billion, though? $8 billion could fetch? Like, that's what Washington could fetch? Well, seven, seven. I don't know. If, if you act like you don't want to sell, I mean, maybe you can squeeze another billion out. It's, it, none of it matters. None of it matters. Because you know what? Jeff Bezos pays $8 billion for it and holds it for five years. It's going to be worth $12 billion. It doesn't matter. Uh, and the guy's worth $120 billion. What's a, what's a, what's a, what's a billion here or there? Million, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> he can wipe his ass with eight million, and I can't, which is amazing. Or eight billion, excuse me. Yeah, eight million. That's like a uh, you know a tissue to God. Him. God, I was surprised you said it once and you said it twice. Um, oh, all right, I'm a bad here. influence. I'm officially a bad influence on Miles Simmons. Let's take a break. Sunday statement draft. Hopefully he won't say it a third time, but I kind of hope he does when PFT Live <laughs> continues right after this. You're a guy that's been around Chargers football for a very long time. How has this entire program, this franchise evolved now as you've taken it up here to L.A.? From your yeah, perspective. Yeah, um, I think just the culture, man. We, we um, you know, we're, we're not in it just to be in it anymore. Um, we're, we're fighting. You know, we, we fight this fight every week. Uh, we know what time it is. We know what we're getting ourselves into. And, um, you know, we know as a unit, as the leaders on the team, that we got to step up and make these plays when it's time to make a play. Keenan Allen on Sunday Night Football Final. You can watch the entire program until 7 p.m. Eastern, and then you can watch Sunday night, or not Sunday night, but Monday night football. Screwed it up. Here we go. Sunday statement. I got Sunday on the brain. Sunday statement time for Week 14. Miles, you are up first in this draft. All right. Thank you very much. Well, I, I would say Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense, they made a statement yesterday, even though they didn't have the best day against the Cleveland Browns. But Joe Burrow entered that game 0-4 as a starter against Cleveland. And for whatever reason, the Browns just seem to have the Bengals number. And you go back to what happened on Halloween, and you can see exactly what usually goes on there. But despite not having Hayden Hurst, who was out with a calf injury, T. Higgins was dealing with a hamstring injury, and he played only a, a handful of plays, if not just one play, in that game. And then Tyler Boyd goes out early on in that game with the finger in, uh, finger injury, and Joe Burrow is able to lean on Jamar Chase, and they just get it done. And so now they do have that win against Cleveland. They keep pace with the Baltimore Ravens in that AFC North. And it just seems to me like Cincinnati is as dangerous as any team right now in the American football conference. So, I mean, they finally got that win against Cleveland. They needed it. And I really like the way they're playing right now, Mike. Interesting choice saying the A, the F, and the C. That, that's, that's, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying interesting choice. A little extra emphasis in the American yeah. football conference. Mm-hmm. And in the... American Football Conference North, the race is on indeed between the Bengals and the Ravens. I'm going to go with J.K. Dobbins coming off of injured reserve, re-entering the fray for a team that can't get a whole lot of sustained running from its non-quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson's out. Tyler Huntley exited with a concussion. Anthony Brown had to come in. Meanwhile, Dobbins, 15 carries, 120 yards, and a touchdown, averaging 8.0 Yards per attempt, that's what the Ravens need if they are going to continue to keep pace with the Ravens in an effort to win that division. Remember, the Ravens hold the tiebreaker over the Bengals, so they are up one from earlier this year, and they'll play again down the stretch. But the Ravens, you know, they've created a lot of doubt, blown leads. Just think of how good they'd be this year if they hadn't blown some big leads. They get this thing buttoned up. Now, they got some questions. They got a game on Saturday at Cleveland, and we don't know if Lamar Jackson's going to be back. Probably not for him. Tyler Huntley, it's one fewer day to get cleared to come back from the concussion that he suffered when you're playing on Saturday. But, you know, of any team out there, 
I, I wouldn't be overly stressed about Anthony Brown having to hold it down because of J.K. Dobbins, because you've got the running game going, and because their defense showed up pretty big against the Steelers yesterday. I know Mitch Trubisky ended up being pressed into service, but uh, they still got it done. It's one of those things where you can see the Ravens getting a program win, what I would call it, against the Browns on Saturday because that's just the way that they are. They understand what they have to do, and then they can go out there and do it. So anyway, for my second pick of the draft, I'm going to go back to Detroit, and let's go with Jared Goff because I know we talked a little bit about the Lions and how well they played, but you know what? Got to give some props to Jared Goff because he's playing the best football of his career right now, probably, and that's even considering the fact that I watched him on a day-to-day basis from 2016 through 2018, and you know, you can say whatever you want about the time that he had with the Rams and what that trade and all these different things, but it looks like right now, Detroit may have found a franchise quarterback in Jared Goff, and I don't think any of us would have expected that when that trade went down as it did, you know, last year. So he's playing really well. He's playing with a lot of confidence, and I think that it's a great thing for Detroit that maybe they can use that Rams pick, which is probably still going to be a top 10 pick, if not top five on something else other than a quarterback and put that program in even better position going forward. I think it's easy to overlook because the Rams structured the deal in a way that would cause us to overlook and not notice the fact that they essentially gave up a first-round pick to get Jared Goff's contract off the books, the horrible contract that they felt compelled to give him after Super Bowl 53 at a time when I was saying, don't do it. They thought I was crazy. They acted like I was crazy. Fred Rogan and Sean McVay uh, poking fun. And then they paid him $33.5 million per year, and they regretted it after two seasons to the point where they had to give up. F them picks went as far as we're going to attach a pick to this contract. Please take him from us. And now the throwaway, the guy that was the burden, the guy that was the albatross has become the answer for the Detroit Lions. It really is amazing, and it makes after that trade. The Even though the Rams won the Super won Bowl, Bowl. Thank you. Okay, it, yeah, we gotta, it, it we makes it a hell it of a trade. Worked. For the Lions. I know. It worked. It worked. But you know what? The bill came due. J- uh, J- Jimmy, Jimmy Bag of Donuts with one eyebrow has showed up for his money, Sean McVay. It's time to pay. And they're paying up big time this year. And that debt may continue beyond 2022 and 2023 and 2024. All right. Next one for me. Next one for me. Uh, it's not the Italian you got to worry about when that debt comes due. Next one. I can say that because I'm Italian. Christian McCaffrey. His, his biggest game yet as a member of the 49ers, 119 rushing yards, 34 receiving yards, two total touchdowns. This is why they gave up a two and a three and a four and a five. You use the guy. You put him out there. The only caveat is he could get hurt, not because of him, but because of the position he plays. With Debo Samuel injured, he takes on greater importance, and he got it done yesterday, and the 49ers are pointing in the right direction. Wouldn't it be great if the 49ers and the Panthers cross paths in the playoffs? You get a little Christian McCaffrey revenge game? I kind of like that possibility. Yeah, that would kind of be fun. I mean, it, maybe it happens if the 49ers end up as the two seed and the Panthers sneak. Well, no, they can't do that. Well, they would come in as the four seed. I don't know. I don't know how that would work. It, wouldn't that have to be in the NFC Championship game? Or maybe They'd have wouldn't? to win. They'd have to win. They'd have to. The Panthers would have to win the wild card round, and then we'd see how it plays out after that, depending yeah. upon the other wild card outcomes. Uh, yeah, that that's math or something in playoff scenarios. And I'm not Steve yes. Kornacki, so I can't really figure that out. They uh, could they could for- meet in the division round. Yes. yes. Okay. 
Go. Uh, la- last pick. All right, let's do it. Uh, Evan Ingram from the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know what? He he had a really good game. And this is one of those deals where you're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Evan Ingram, that becomes the primary target for Trevor Lawrence. And the answer is yes. And look, I mean, when you have a game like that, it's like you said earlier in the show, Mike, well, why can't you do it every week? But when you have 162 yards and that sets a new career high and you're playing as he did against the Tennessee Titans team that you just expect to be able to bottle things up better defensively, then that says a lot about what the Jaguars can do. Can they do it on a week to week basis? I don't know. I frankly don't have a lot of faith that they will, especially with the way they peed down their leg in Detroit last week. But if for at least one day, Evan Ingram had a really, really terrific game and it helped the Jaguars win in Nashville. Nobody cares about my fantasy team, me included, but I will admit this. I needed a tight end this past week because oh of the mega 16 buy, and I had and I had Evan Ingram on the wow. screen. And oh. I was like, nah, nah, oh, pass. No. Pass. Pass on Evan Ingram. Uh, I still won, but uh, I hate. that's why I hate fantasy football. You can, you're always going to screw it up. No matter what you do, you're going to make bad decisions. All right, uh, Bill's made a great decision taking Greg Rousseau in the first round. I'm going to circle back to that game, not just because Rousseau got on the phone with me afterward, but he had two sacks. It was their first game after knowing that Von Miller is not walking back through that door this year. That defense has to step up without him. He's not going to come riding in on a white horse. Remember, he said he was going to play the Jets game just a yes. couple of weeks ago on the Vaughn cast. And every, everything's pointing in that direction. They put him on injured reserves like, nah, you're not, you know, nah, nah. But, but you could still be back. Then last week, the exploratory surgery, like it's 1912, and they find the torn ACL, and apparently it is. It is not an uncommon thing, although it just seems weird to hear the term exploratory surgery. They find the torn ACL. They got to go forward without him. Russo had two sacks, had the forced fumble, part of a broader defensive effort that, that hit Mike White hard. And, again, Tua, Saturday night, they're not going to go easy. They've lost to the Dolphins. They're going to be coming after them with everything they have. And Rousseau leading the charge, fulfilling his potential. And I remember the, the, the night he was drafted, when he walked out onto the stage. Like, this guy's a giant. Like, how did he last so long in the draft? He is a giant, and he's just getting started to have a great career. All right, let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Monday edition of PFT Live with a truncated Monday Night Football preview. Patriots Cardinals. We'll talk about that next year. All right, tonight in Arizona, the New England Patriots trying to get back above 500, taking on a Cardinals team that just kind of feels lost in the desert, pun intended. Uh, You know, there's some chatter in New England. I did a little podcast thing with Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston last week. He wrote a column recently. There's starting to be a sense that maybe Bill Belichick's stack of chips from six Super Bowl wins is evaporating more quickly than expected. And there's a thought that tonight's game is pretty important, especially when you consider their final four. This one's pretty important to the future potentially for Bill Belichick. I can't imagine. Well, he'd never be fired. What would happen is they'd put the word out that he's available to somebody else to hire him, and then they'd offer a second-round pick, and that would be that if he'd want to go somewhere else. They're not going to fire him. But it's just a it's a weird time in the tenure of Bill Belichick in New England. And tonight's game, if they lose, makes it even weirder, Miles. 
Well, if they lose to the Cardinals, then, I mean, kind of all bets are off. That is not a good football team, and it doesn't look like the offensive masterminds, you know, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge were actually a great choice to hire there So as an offensive coordinator. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I can understand it. Well, uh, they have to get it going. And this whole idea of going from Josh McDaniels to a guy who was a defensive coordinator before he was a head coach, a guy who was a special teams coordinator before he was a head coach, they're in charge of the offense. It hasn't worked, and they need to figure out a way to make it work right away. They could still sneak into the playoffs here. It starts tonight. Monday Night Football, Patriots at Cardinals. Have the full breakdown tomorrow. Have a great day. Thanks for some of your time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.